Welcome to the Health Deli, your local stop for a fresh take on community health topics. Come on in, grab a number, and let the guys behind the counter, Mark, Ben, and Mike, tell you about today's specials. Well, good day. Welcome to another glorious, I'm going to say, season of the Health Deli. I can't believe it. We're season three. Unbelievable. I and can't it, b- believe that the uh, sensors have allowed us to Well, and it, and it started with a fury today. We were planning on getting going here about, about what, hour and a half ago and mm-hmm. one comedy of errors after another, which kind of That's says the way we roll. That is the way we roll. Yeah. That's right. Well, and again, season three, who'd have thought we'd make it this far? Um, well, before we do that, I mean, Andrew's still here. Andrew, do you want to scream something to the to the folks? Hang on. And we're on video now. Hello. <laughs> Hopefully you heard that. Andrew's back in the, you know, he came in from the back 40. And we got our boy Forrest here again. Hello, Health Deli. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I'm joined here with, with Mark because... Young Ben got lost on the way to the. Uh, we took the took the uh, food truck out and didn't tell him where we we're going. Yeah. Apparently, we we can't even make this stuff up. But <laughs> Ben is lost right now in the, in the back roads of Macosta County. But uh, yeah, yes, he is. And you know, with that, I, I mentioned we the food truck and we're on the road again. Yes, uh, like a Willie Nelson tune. We're here at the winery at Young Farms, place near and dear Will, to my Willie heart. Nelson's got a song in the winery at Young Farms. He does. <laughs> yes, you should hear it. It's on. It's a deep track. Was it, was gra- it, what, were the lyrics a, by AI? It's on his uh, gray-haired stranger album. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Well, Mark, season three. Yes. What, what, do you, what do you got cooking? You know, I got a few things. Um, one episode about work-life balance, uh, which was. Uh, a viewer uh, requested episode. So we're working on that. And then there's you know, one this, uh, last, on supplements last season too. We didn't really do a whole lot of um, video. We didn't. So that was kind of a boring view for him. Right. Well, a lot of uh, listeners have been wanting to see more of me. <laughs> so. That was not your wife that brought that suggestion. <laughs> so we're going to try to do more video um, so they can see me. All right. And also we've got a a new segment. We're gonna yes. keep. We're gonna kind of keep it as a surprise. We're gonna spring it on folk. Yeah, let's do that. Let's spring it. Okay, I like that. We're gonna like spring that. it on people here after a little bit. You know, season three for me is gonna be a you know interesting season. You know, there's been a lot of things I've been um, wanting to get to. Uh, one, there's a, a colleague that you and I work with um, who had breast cancer uh, diagnosis. Um, this past year, mm-hmm. and she has, you know, agreed to come on and talk to us about her journey and what it was like to go through all that, the emotions, the process, and stuff like that. I thought it'd be a great idea to, yeah, you know, get that patient perspective. That would be great. Um, the other thing uh, that I'm, you know, thinking of right now is I just uh, read a thing on leprosy. I I did as well. Did you see that? Uh, it was on it was on the popular media like MSN or something. There I was know a story about leprosy and in they were talking Florida, about, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, they're yeah. talking about it might become endemic in some of those states. So it's just crazy. I'm like, that's biblical, man. <laughs> that is biblical. So yeah. we'll 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 look is into it, that. Wasn't there like a leprosy colony on Hawaii or something? Yeah, there was one I'm, of the one of the islands was a leper colony. Yeah, I'm thinking Maybe about we'll, getting it just to go to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't take you. Um, so let's let, let's reel this back. We got a really special guest um, with us today um, because we're going to talk about a special topic, something that's really near and dear to my heart. Um, we're going to c- talk about congenital heart defects or CHD. 
And Dr. Stephanie Klepser uh, is a pharmacist who happens to be my wife. She graduated from the Ferris State University College of Pharmacy and did her postgraduate training at Northwestern Medical Center in Chicago. And she's an accomplished pharmacist. Um, and again, as I already let the cat out of the bag, she also happens to be my wife. Stephanie. Hey there. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And, you know, certainly I think Mike and I are both excited to talk about this topic since it's uh, something that looms large in our lives. Um, before we get started, just for housekeeping purposes, as Mike mentioned, I'm a pharmacist. I do work for CVS Health. And so I just wanted to state, you know, first and foremost, that any thoughts or opinions I share today are my own and not necessarily representative of those uh, of CVS. So get that out of the way here right off the bat. All right, Stephanie's <laughs> fine print disclosure. And now, you know, yep, back to sure. the topic, um, you know, I'll be honest, I've been familiar with the term CHD for a long time. Um, however, until a few years ago, um, and to let the cat out of the bag, when our daughter was born with a congenital heart defect, I really didn't pay much attention to the topic. Um, Steph, I know that, you know, you're much more familiar with the topic and the statistics and stuff like that. Um, can you talk about some of the CHD numbers and statistics? How common are these things? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Mike, I think a lot of people have heard of CHD. And again, we're talking about congenital heart defects, not to be confused with coronary heart disease, which is also abbreviated CHD and is a very common um, occurrence here in America anyway. Um, but congenital heart disease occurs in about one out of every 100 live births. So it's actually relatively common. That's about 40,000 live births every year in the United States. Um, so probably a bigger number than most people realize, uh, it means about every 15 minutes, there's one baby born with a CHD. Now, um, just to give a little context, I guess, to that, um, cystic fibrosis, which is another, um, disease, I think, you know, it's on the rarer side. A lot of people have heard about it. That affects about one in every 3,400. Um, whereas again, CHD is about one in every 100, one in every 110. So it's pretty common, um, Another one I guess we could throw out there is um, every year about 6,000 children and teens are diagnosed with cancer annually compared to, um, I think I said, about 40,000 live births affected by CHD. So certainly, um, you know, maybe a more common thing than people realize. That's, that is surprising to me. I did not know it was that common. Well, and the strange thing for us, you know, Stephanie, we'll probably get into this a little bit more, is before our daughter was born, I don't really know that I knew anybody with a, a child that had CHD and, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're involved with that. And then all of a sudden there's all these people that, you know, we know our friends or, you know, family members of other friends and stuff that, you know, we, we started hearing about this. So, I mean, that was really enlightening for us. And, you know, with that stuff, you know, if you don't mind, can you walk us back to Megan's journey and, you know, that whole process, how that came about for us? Yeah. Um, you know, and Megan's story is, is kind of unique, not just, you know, because of her diagnosis, but the way she was diagnosed, um, is a little atypical too. Um, so our, our daughter, Megan was born back in 2018. Um, and she's our, our second daughter. And for all intents and purposes, I'd had a very normal, healthy pregnancy, no cause for concern. I did all the normal you know, prenatal testing and screening and, and ultrasounds and all of that and everything, you know, checked out as okay. Um, and when Megan was born, um, you know, she 
again, by, by all assessments was, um, you know, very normal, um, looking normal behaving child, right? So we spent the first 24 hours of her birth hanging out and doing all the normal, the normal things, you know, she met her big sister, all that stuff. Um, and at 24 hours old now, they do a, it's called a CCHD or critical congenital heart disease screening. Um, it's been mandated, I think, in the state of Michigan since 2014-ish. Um, but now every baby who's born in a hospital in our state and in most states throughout the country now will have a, a screening done at 24 hours old. They do um, a pulse ox reading. So it's um, what, what's a, lot a of pulse ox? Yeah, so it it's a, a non-invasive test. It's just a little sensor that's placed either on their hand or their foot, um, and it gives a measurement of how much oxygen is in the blood. And so at uh, 24 hours old, this is done on babies, and they look to see if these levels are normal, if they're the same on, on their hands and their feet. Um, and, you know, there's an algorithm that the, the nurse will look at to decide if the kiddo passes or fails the test. Um, well, long story short, Megan ended up failing this test. Um, they repeated it a few times. They, you know, had some different nurses come in and try to see if they could, you know, get it to work out for her. And it just didn't. So we spent the night in the NICU. And then that following morning, she had a, a, a echo done, an echocardiogram. So um, basically an ultrasound of the heart. And um, they found out that she has a critical CHD called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And from there, we were, you know, booted out to the children's, you know, hospital in our, our state here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, we went to there and, and thus began her her course of navigating the, the uh, CHD. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And I remember all those things. I remember the emotions. I remember um, getting just kind of blindsided you know, by the whole thing. And you're saying that that was a little different than what most people go through. Um, before we get into that, um, we're going to switch topics here really quickly um, because we got this new segment uh, this season, Mark's Healthy Minute, which looking at Mark, I'm wondering why he's talking about this. No, no, it's, it's, it's not Mark's Healthy Minute. It's just the Healthy it's just minute. the healthy minute. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so so what what is this whole healthy minute it's, thing? It's it's a one minute actionable thing that you can do every day to be more healthy. Like eat donuts. <laughs> no, not exactly not eat donuts. So you and I have different def- definitions of health. Let's take a pause for the healthy minute. Brought to you by the winery at Young Farms. Today's healthy minute is stop using nicotine. Nicotine can be used in many different ways. You can smoke tobacco, chew tobacco, use a vape, etc., etc., etc. I want you to know there is no safe form of nicotine. While smoking poses a greater risk of lung disease than chewing tobacco, all forms of nicotine present a significant increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Non-prescription options for quitting nicotine include topical patches, gum, and lozenges. Effective prescription options exist as well. Try to find a quit coach, perhaps a family member or a friend to hold you accountable to your decision to quit. If you would like more information about ways to successfully quit nicotine, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or talk to your doctor or pharmacist. Uh, I think Mark Twain said it best. Giving up smoking is the easiest thing in the world. I know because I've done it a thousand times. Even if you have failed in the past, never quit quitting. That was the Healthy Minute brought to you by The Winery at Young Farms in Macosta, Michigan. Please visit www.thewineryatyoungfarms.com for more information. Now, back to the Health Deli. 
Wow. That's crazy, man. We got a sponsor, even if it is your wife. Well, whatever. <laughs> don't hey, uh, Andrew, don't cash that check quite yet. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just jump back into this. We were talking about the emotions because, Stephanie, most people don't wait until birth to find out that their child has a congenital heart defect, right? Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned about, you know, 1% of live births are affected by CHD. Now that can mean a lot of different things. So the majority of these, about 75% are um, not critical CHDs. In other words, it may be something that exists that can be monitored over time that may may not need, you know, immediate intervention, um, may not be life-threatening, but about 25% of these are critical CHDs or CCHDs. And so the majority of the the critical defects involve larger structural or functional issues with the heart that need to be immediately addressed. And generally speaking, a lot of these are found during fetal ultrasound. So, you know, at 20 weeks, you go to the um, OBGYN and you get your, you know, most people are, are excited for that because that's when you find out, usually you're having a boy or a girl, you know, if you're choosing to find that out. But one of the other Big. I mean, the, the main reason they do that is not just to tell you the gender, but it's also to figure out, um, you know, to do screenings, look at the the anatomy, how the, the baby is developing and make sure everything appears to be on track. And so more often than not, these critical CHDs are picked up during that 20 week um, anatomy scan. However, in some cases, and, and Megan's is a great example, um, you know, they just aren't, um, you know, and so that's why this postnatal 24 hour, you know, post birth, uh, CCHD screening has become really, um, really important to, to try to pick up some of those kiddos who maybe weren't caught on ultrasound. Um, if untreated, these are, you know, big structural functional, functional issues with the heart and can become really serious really, really quickly in kids who, you know, go home without that diagnosis made. And, you know, following up on that, then I think I just lost my microphone. Just keep going. All right. We'll cut that out. I can hear you. All right. So following up on that, how do you manage these? I mean, are there medicines that these kids take? Is there something that can be fixed? You know, what what happens? And if you want to chime in with, you know, Megan's story as an example, um, or some of the the other families that we met. Sure. So, um, you know, again, we kind of lump all these things in as, as CHG, but really there are dozens of different you know, specific diagnoses. And even, you know, like in Megan's case, she has hypoplastic left heart syndrome, which means um, in general, the left-sided structures of the heart are underdeveloped and or missing. Um, But the left side of the heart contains a lot of stuff. There's your left ventricle, there's your mitral valve, there's your aorta and the aortic valve. And so all of these things can be impacted to differing degrees. Um, and so even among kiddos who have the same diagnosis, sometimes the management is a little bit different, but, um, most of these critical CHDs will require one or more, you know, surgical intervention. Um, and when you're talking you know, Mega, surgical Mega, intervention, it's not just a, you know, like removing a wart or something. I mean, this is full blown open heart surgery stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, sometimes, you know, there are certain things that can be done in, in a cath lab, you know, and so that's where they, they still, it's still considered a surgical procedure, but they put the patient under sedation and can put a long, small tube in through a large um, blood vessel and work it all the way to the heart and then, you know, do certain um, manipulations in the heart that way. But 
more often than not, again, for the critical CHDs, it's one or more large open heart surgical procedures. And they happen when the kids are really young, you know, so Megan had her first open heart surgery when she was a week old. And um, at that point in time, the size of the heart is about the size of a walnut. So you're talking about doing some pretty, um, pretty big changes on a little tiny, you know, little tiny organ. Um, you know, so for hypoplastic left heart, for example, they, they do um, usually at least three series, um, a th- a three-step series of surgeries. Whew, that's a lot of alliteration there. Um, to uh, sort of reroute the plumbing to and from the heart and make it so that the heart can can continue to deliver oxygen-rich blood to the body the way it needs to. Um, uh, for different defects, the, the specific types of surgeries and the numbers needed will vary. But, um, you know, a lot of times um, these kids also will end up needing transplant. Um, and the, you know, the goal is of course, in that case to try to forego that as long as possible. Um, a, because, you know, transplant is, is a big deal. Um, not that open heart surgery isn't of course, but, um, also there's, there's not a lot of little infant hearts available for transplantation, which is a great thing, right? That means that, you know, most babies are, are living and surviving until they grow when their heart gets bigger. But, you know, for, for infants needing that, it's certainly a, a limited, um, factor. But so all that to say, a lot of these uh, critical CHGs involve one or more big surgeries, getting the kids until they're older. Some kids may not need additional intervention for many, many years. Some will need it sooner than others. It really just depends on on the kid. And, you know, I'm thinking back and my head was whirling, you know, those first few months, years of Megan's birth, trying to because you have the heart conditions going on. You have, you know, trying to have them gain weight. And at that point in time, Megan also wasn't eating. So there was a feeding tube and there was feeding issues. You know, where are the resources? Where do people with, you know, kids like this, where do they go? Because I know maybe we were a little different because I'm not going to lie. We had Stephanie uh, who was not sleeping, but just looking things up online and finding resources. Where do people go, Steph? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, I'll answer that. But first, you brought up a really good point, which is to just mention that although these kids have a heart defect, you know, really the impact on their life is not limited to the heart. So you mentioned Megan used a feeding tube for a long time. Um, you know, if you think about the life of an infant, their number one job is just to eat and grow. Um, and believe it or not, it, it takes a lot of work, you know, activity, a lot of effort for them to to eat. And so a lot of times these kids with um, hearts that aren't working as well as they need to will struggle to eat and to gain weight because they just don't have the energy to do it. So, um, you know, you think, what does a heart defect have to do with eating? Well, then they end up on feeding tubes and that comes with its whole, a whole separate, you know, set of challenges and issues. Um, you know, a lot of times there's physical and occupational therapy involved just because of the prolonged hospitalizations and the impact that it has on, on kids and their normal development. Um, you know, sometimes there's neurological issues and a whole variety of other things that, that can pop up as a result. But, um, you know, all that to say, you know, as far as resources go, I think certainly, you know, the, the number one place it would be to check with the, the social work in the heart center or, you know, whatever specialist, um, you're seeing at, at the local hospital, they are very good at connecting families with local resources. But, um, one other thing I've found, 
to be helpful in my personal life is some of the communities that exist on um, social media platforms. And so obviously, I think it goes without saying you have to take advice from social media with a grain of salt, right? These are all other other families, other individuals that are sharing their experiences, their stories and stuff. But I think the the online communities and the ability to direct families to new resources, new, new approaches, new way of thinking um, has been really important. So there's a lot of really cool online communities and stuff out there as well. Well, talk about that a little bit, because, you know, when you go into this, especially what I found is, you know, a lot of the mothers um, have been active in groups and you've met a lot of families um, that have children with, you know, some similar, some different problems. You know, how helpful have you found those and how did you find those to begin with? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> I think I've said this to you before, right? Like CHD is the coolest club you never wanted to be a part of, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely not something anyone hopes for, for their family or for their child. But I think that, you know, the community that exists is really, is really special, really special, really helpful. Um, you know, I mean, at, at the simplest, going on to, to Facebook or, you know, whatever, and, and typing in your kid's diagnosis, typing in congenital heart disease, you'll see very quickly there's dozens of groups available. And, um, you know, there's a little trial and error, clicking around, betting what what kind of seems to be places you fit in. But, um, you know, there are very specialized groups, even feeding issues in kids with heart disease. And, you know, you can find a lot of different things online. Um you know, I will say also talking to families and people directly who have been through it before you. So that was really helpful to me. You know, when we first learned about um, Megan's diagnosis, you know, as Mike mentioned, it was a bit of a, a whirlwind because we had no idea we were expecting this. You know, a lot of people um, when they find out during pregnancy have some time to do some some research, some planning, some education. And of course, we were doing it all on the fly. But um Early on, we got connected to a couple different families who had lived through it before, you know, and and being able to talk to someone and, and have them point you towards um, different resources they used or help them troubleshoot issues or even just the reassurance that, yeah, what you're going through is something we went through, too. And there is light on the other end of the tunnel. And this is how you can, you know, think of it this way. Stay the course. Um, you know, the funny yeah. thing is, you know, one of the first groups that came you know, families that we met and talked about was actually family from church. Uh, and, you know, I had no idea that their high school age son had a congenital heart defect until this came out. And then they approached us and said, you know what, we were through this and, you know, here, let's help you, you know, yeah. get through it, answered questions, gave us support, told us what to expect and stuff like that. Yeah. The thing I am kind of gleaning from all this too, as I think about it is you have a, a, the rest of your family to take care of too. It's not like everyone else's needs are just put aside, really. I mean, there's just a lot going on in a young family. Um, and to add all of this extra stress, you really need a community, you know, yeah. around you to, to, to support you. Well, and, and that's it. People came together and helped with, you know, our older kids and, you know, with our older daughter. Um, we couldn't have done it without you yeah. know, all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so Stephanie you know, kind of going off of that in terms of not just the support, but the medical care and all that kind of stuff, everything that you found, um, that's not free stuff. You know, how does, you know, congenital heart research, how does all of that get funded? And, 
you know, just talk to that because I know that you've been involved with with some of those groups. Yeah, I mean, there are um, certainly a handful of, of nonprofit organizations or groups that are really focused on driving care and advocacy for CHD. So, um, you know, in particular, the Children's Heart Foundation is an organization we've been involved with in the past, and they are, I think, one of the largest funders of independent research, um, you know, related to congenital heart disease. Um, you know, the hospital um, obviously, our hospital, which is you know Mott in Ann Arbor, there associated with U of M, um, does a lot of research and <laughs> does a lot of research and uh, um, fundraising, you know, to support care and initiatives at their center too. Um, Conquering CHD is another cool organization um, that really has more of an advocacy um, focus and, and spreading awareness. Um, you know, which again is something that I think Mike and I are both trying to to work on or figure out, you know, how do we effectively do even in our circles? Because, um, you know, as we touched on at the beginning, I think there's an underappreciation for really how common CHD is and how many kids are affected. And, and now thanks to, to research and, um, all of the developments that have cropped up because of that, you know, kids are living longer, fuller lives. And and so now even the nature of the research is evolving into not just how can we help these kids survive, but how can we help them live the fullest lives possible? And so all that continues to be um, something that's really important to us and certainly something that, um, you know, we try to advocate for whenever we have the chance. Well, and I think that's important because when some people get the news, uh, about the child has a major medical condition like a congenital heart defect, you know, they see just the negative, like this is the end. And maybe that was the case 25 years ago, 30 years ago, but really for these kids now, it's just the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's something that we've learned how to manage uh, to some extent. Now, they're always going to be special children, uh, definitely, but, you know, Megan. Uh, our daughter, she played soccer last year. She played t-ball. Uh, she's in a Spanish immersion uh, preschool. She's going into kindergarten. And if you look at her, I mean, she's just as attitude prone as uh, just about every other, uh, you know, five-year-old kid. Yeah, the, modern medicine is truly amazing. Yeah, just truly amazing. Yeah, and. So, Steph, you know, for these foundations and stuff, you know, we've been really involved because of, you know, we, we've seen the benefits. We've seen what they brought. Um, maybe we can link, you know, put a link to some of these foundations on our website. Yeah, uh, you know, So if people have some questions or if they want to donate to one of these foundations, they can go ahead and do that. I know that, you know, the Congenital um, Heart Foundation, uh, they do a heart walk every year in a lot of Children's Heart Foundation. Children's yep, Heart Foundation. Children's Heart Foundation. Yep. Well, uh, so that's something that's kind of regional. So it's not just in one area of the country, but they're doing it all over the country. And they raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, for these kids in this type of research. You know, Steph, do you want to, you know, correct everything that I've said wrong? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. Um, not, I will, that, I will just throw out there. Do all that. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's never enough time to correct all the things Mike says. Uh, I had to give up on that pipe dream early on in our marriage, but um as far as, you know, the, the, the heart walks go, <laughs> um, you know, if you're in the West Michigan area, I think it's August 20th is the Children's Heart Foundation um, walk in Grand Rapids. Um, so we can, you know, I'll work with Mike, certainly get some information posted, but we'll be there with Megan as, as will many other families from the area. I think on the east side of the state, 
I think it's the day before, maybe on the 19th. Um, so usually in Michigan, so kind of the, the mid to late August time, time frame. Yeah, it depends on the year and, okay. and the, the venue and stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's usually in the, in the summer um, or, or late summer. So, yeah, and uh, definitely there's lots of opportunities to get involved. In, and I would venture that most people, whether they realize it or not, have at least a, a couple of people in their lives that have been impacted by by CHD. Um, for in sure. addition to, you know, raising money through donations, you know, to support the walk, we've also done some creative things as well as a lot of other families have done, you know, and sold T-shirts, um, you know, f- you know, for the for the kids. And then all that money goes to heart research. And yeah, I think you sold some mugs, too, didn't you? Yes, we I did. bought a mug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll put a, a picture of our mugs. And if we get enough interest where we can uh, revive the uh, the mugs for Megan. Yes. Uh, thing. And yeah, that'd be great. When that originally came out, Stephanie raised over twenty five hundred dollars. Oh, that's uh, amazing! You know, for CHD research. So, yeah, drink on, brother. I, I still use it quite often. I should have brought it today. Um, it is a nice solid mug. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and we've also done some other things to you know incorporate the rest of our family, meaning our our daughter. Um, Steph, didn't we do a video? Oh yeah, <laughs> you're not gonna link that, are you? Oh, what what was no. what was the video? I, I forget. It was still like the Encanto. Song. Oh, it was when Encanto. Yeah, it was big. We did a little CHD song parody to the Family Madrigal. I want to see that. Song, All right. so. I really want to okay. see so we'll, that. We'll, we'll get this. We'll get this posted on the website as well, so people nice. can can see. All stars our ten year old daughter. Yeah, me and my <laughs> acting glory. Um, so what? Stephanie, how has Megan and CHD changed your life? I mean, you're a health professional, you know, but take that hat off. How has this changed your life, you know, as a wife and mother? I mean, that's that's a loaded question because I would say, how hasn't it changed our lives? But I mean, I think there was certainly a forced change of perspective you know, when, when you're dealing with, um, or I won't say dealing with, that's not the right way when, you know, when you have a child like, like Megan, or when you're faced with a diagnosis like this, because, um, you know, there, there's so much uncertainty and, and Mike can attest, I'm not someone who thrives in uncertainty. I like to plan. I like to, to know what to account for, but you know, I think when you, you're confronted with something like this, you have to realize that despite our best efforts, none of us can really plan perfectly for the future. You never know what's going to come up tomorrow or, or the next day. And, um, you know, so certainly there's been a, a forced perspective change. I'm saying forced perspective change because of course I wouldn't have made that willingly, but, <laughs> and it's still something we struggle with, but, you know, I also think, um, is challenging and as low as the lows are, the highs are that much higher. Um, you know, at Megan and, and some of these other families and kids we've gotten to know are just some of the coolest, toughest, most joyful little people. You know, I think they have a different perspective on life and on the world and they're just happy to, happy to be living it up. Um, you know, and I think maybe one of the most important things I had to learn early on is, is that statistics mean nothing to my child, right? Um, it's very, very easy to get on, you know, the internet and ask Dr. Google about, this complication or this survival rate or what, you know, and it's, it's also very, very easy to let that become overwhelming and terrifying. Um, but at the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything to my individual child. And, and like I said, congenital heart diseases occur 
in many forms and many different degrees. And, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think, you know, each kid's going to write their own story. And, you know, we've certainly been lucky to be a part of Megan's. Yeah. Well, so with that, I mean, if I hear somebody has a disease like cancer or, you know, some other chronic disease, things go into my mind and all of a sudden I feel sorry for, you know, these people. If you had to tell our listeners something about kids with CHD, what would you tell them? Um, I mean, I think just kind of like I said, they, <laughs> I mean, first of all, they're just regular kids, right? I mean, they like to play, they like to dance, they like to sing, all of the normal things. Sometimes, you know, they need a little extra help to do certain things. Sometimes, you know, they, they, they don't, but, um, I remember early on when we were struggling with Megan's diagnosis and, um, you know, we got close to a couple of the nurses at the hospital and, you know, I remember just saying, I I don't know how to wrap my mind around what this means for her life. And it doesn't feel fair that she's got to do this. And, you know, she's just this little tiny baby, you know, and this is unfair for her. And, and our nurse at the time told me, you know, you have to remember that Megan will never see it that way. This is her life. She's happy to be here. She's happy to be alive. She will meet each challenge as it comes to her, just like the rest of us do. And, um, you know, I think that's true. Kids, you know, that we have friends in the hospital right now. We have friends at home, um, all all dealing with CHD. And no matter where these kiddos are, they are happy. They're joyful. They want to play. They want to have fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. they're very much normal kids with just a little extra sparkle. Now, Mike, so I'm trying to put myself in your shoes a little bit. As a father, you know, we have this stereotypical role, like we have to fix it, right? We have to fix it. We're the strong ones. Uh, How has it changed you? How did you deal with having that, um, you know, really like dependence on the rest of the medical team? Unless you're a pediatric heart surgeon, there's not a lot you can do, you know, hands-on to help this problem. How How did working through all that, how was that? Well, first of all, maybe Stephanie should say what I was like, because I honestly, you know, I, I, I like to think that I was there. I was trying to divorce myself from emotions and just, to be honest, I was there more for Stephanie at the, that point in time mm-hmm. is what I felt, because the medical team, I had trust in the medical team. Uh, they would, you know, make recommendations. And yeah, we would, you know, look things up and we would try to process things. We would ask him questions about the medications because we're pharmacists. Sure. And then I would try to be there for Stephanie and, you know, some of the other people in the hospital. Um, and maybe I've got a very jaded perspective. Stephanie, was I, a, what was I like? Oh, well, there's a loaded question. Uh, no. I mean, I, th- I think honestly, at for, for the first year or so of Megan's life, both of us, just shifted into what I would consider our survival mindset. So, you know, um, everything can be said about the way we were. So it, (laughs) a little anecdote, Megan had her fourth open heart surgery, uh, just over two years ago. And that morning, you know, we're getting ready for the day and I accidentally like launched my Apple watch across the bathroom and it shattered. Mm. Right. Of course I'm upset because I just, it's an emotional day, like not the thing I wanted to deal with that morning you know, and so we take Megan, you know, she goes back for surgery and I am, I have to be right there. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I can do anything other than just be right there for the second that anything happens, you know, and Mike said, well, I'm going to go get you a new watch. I'm going to go do that. You know, so I I think that kind of just speaks to the way the two of us are 
in those moments. Mike is very focused on on getting tasks done, supporting me, supporting the kids. He's a great um, Aaron Aaron guy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like I was for expecting me, a I, great husband, uh, but no, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like DoorDash. Errand boy <laughs> is fine too. You know, pool boy, whatever. I didn't even get a tip. You know, I, I tip him well. No, there's a, <laughs> um, there's a chef and there's a sous chef, you know, and I know where you fall. But no, I mean, I think that that's kind of how we did that. That first year of life was very overwhelming. I was, you know, Megan couldn't nurse um, normally. So I was pumping and, and to try to get her breast milk during that first year. And so I, I felt like I was very much chained to her, to the pump, to, you know, and Mike did a great job of doing all the other things that we needed to get done, running kids around, getting groceries, you know, a lot of the stuff that still needed to happen. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. We figured it out. <laughs> Obviously, it sounds like you did a great job. Yeah, and it's still ongoing. You know, another day, another chapter. You know, I guess if you will, and we're going to start the uh, the school chapter. And you know, with that, you know, we also did create a blog. You know, with with Megan uh, to tell kind of her journey, her story, you know, our emotions and stuff. And maybe we can, you know, look to get a link out to the blog in case people you know want to see um, that story. And we did it to help other people you know, understand what we were going through. And Steph, we only got a, a few minutes left here. Um, is there one thing, I know this is going to be tough for you, uh, one thing that you feel that everybody should know about CHD? Yeah, I guess I would say CHD is a lifelong thing, whether it's a straightforward, I guess I want to say that's not the right word to use, a critical CHD or not, it is a lifelong diagnosis. And so, um, you know, one of the questions we get a lot is, oh, is, is Megan fixed now or is she cured now? And I mean, and the, the short answer is no. The longer answer is that CHDs impact the entire body and it is a lifelong, lifelong condition, lifelong diagnosis. So for the rest of her life, she will have monitoring and there will be additional interventions needed down the road. And that's that's just the nature of the thing. And so, um you know, I guess maybe that that's one thing I would throw out there is that when it comes to, to CHD, there is no cure. There is a lot of wonderful treatments and amazing, you know, medical advances that have occurred. There's, you know, more and more support popping up every day, but it, but it is a lifelong thing. It's not something that goes away once you have a surgery, once you have get a new medication or, or whatever the case may be. Okay. Well, thanks. Hey, is there anybody that you want to give a shout out to any of the other kids, uh, heart kids? Shout out to. Because uh, I know that, you know, maybe one of their moms actually listens or, or anybody want to say hi to the kids, get a kick out of it? Well, I'll, I'll say hi to our uh, our mom group, which we affectionately call uh, Warm Cookies and Cool Drinks. Because we decided <laughs> that if if we were going to start, you know, a, a, uh, a mission to... <laughs> Four other moms is, in the hospital. We'd call it a mom mobile, and we'd put a little cart together, and we would serve warm cookies and cool beverages to all the moms do, in the hospital. Do you have so to be? Do you have to be a mom? Because I like warm cookies and cold drinks. <laughs> I guess I should say heart families. It happens to be all oh. all moms that are are in our little yeah. uh, our little text group that uh, that we call ourselves that. But well, um, yeah, I do want to thank both you guys. I'm not trying to cut you off or anything, but I want to get this in that uh, it's not easy sharing personal things um, to the world. And I want to say thank you guys very much for doing that. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, I know. And I mean, thanks for for letting us do this episode and tell our story and share a little bit more about CHD. It's, you know, anytime we can, we like to jump at the opportunity to to get the word out there. 
And with that, uh, we'll wrap this up. Steph, get my tip ready. Uh, I'll be home in a little bit. 50 cents. You got it. Thanks for stopping by the Health Deli to sample some of our wares. We're open 24-7 on Facebook and Twitter at The Health Deli or visit thehealthdeli.com to send us a question or find any of our locations. Please come again. We will be regularly stocking the shelves with fresh content and new wellness specials. As always, we want to give a special thank you to Andrew Tingley and the crew at Ferris State University's television and digital media production program. Until next time, so long from the Health Deli, where the topics are tasty, the takes are fresh, and the discussion is free.